This week, China is crashing its own already plummeting economy in an attempt to interfere with upcoming Taiwanese elections. Riots break out in Bangladesh as corrupt officials try to suppress each other ahead of January elections. And Brazil is increasing border security after a criminal militia retaliates for the attempted arrest and killing of their leader. All of that and more coming up on the Red Eye Report. Welcome to the Red Eye Report. I'm Matthew Burgess. We begin this week with a request from one of our amazing listeners on the Chinese nuclear sub that was sunk back in August. It was originally reported that a Chinese nuclear submarine designated 063-TAC-417 was caught in China's own chain and anchor trap in the Yellow Sea. A chain and anchor trap being made by driving metal pilings into the ocean floor, then connecting them with metal chains. It was originally believed that at 8.30 a.m., on August 21, 2023, the submarine, which had began its mission in Qingdao, collided with the trap, resulting in the loss of all 55 seamen aboard, including 22 officers, 7 officer cadets, 9 petty officers, and 17 sailors who had all died of asphyxiation. However, it is now known that one of the crew members aboard, a diver with the rank of sergeant, has survived. After the collision with the trap, it is believed that the captain took emergency measures, and a single diver was sent out to cut the sub free, which is strange as China's policy for sending out divers requires that at least two are sent, one to work and another to guard or observe. The diver carried with him four tanks, one with compressed air for breathing and another three containing hydrogen, natural gas, and oxygen for underwater cutting. The mission was thought to be completed successfully, and thus the diver tried to return to the sub. After banging on the hatch, he got no response from inside. The diver decided to break strict submarine protocol, and he surfaced, after which he was spotted by one of two Chinese frigates that were on observation duty in the area. After the diver was rescued, the frigates tried to contact the distressed submarine, but were not able to get a response. Air support for rescue operations was then called for, but due to inclement weather, aircraft necessary for the rescue operations were delayed by an hour. Eventually, a helicopter with high-powered air pumps was able to reach the area. Once the air pumps arrived, Chinese military divers were able to connect the pumps to the sub, pumping it full of air to make it more buoyant. However, due to unknown reasons, the subsurfacing occurred much slower than it should have. It has been reported that the submarine was finally surfaced at around 2 p.m. local time. Once the sub was surfaced and opened up, it was found that all men aboard had been lost. Following a forensic autopsy, the pathologist concluded that the sailors aboard were not asphyxiated, but rather were poisoned by hydrogen sulfide. The submarine itself was not equipped with hydrogen sulfide detectors, and so none of the crew aboard would have known there was an issue until it was too late. And even then, they would not have known what the problem was, nor would they have been able to take action. The current hypothesis is that operational errors might have led to misconnected natural gas and oxygen pipes but there are still lots of mysteries surrounding the event. Why was only one diver sent out instead of two as per protocol? According to sources, the amount of gases found in the diver's tanks did not match up with what they should have been after the event. The diver, who is the sole survivor, is currently on watch as he has attempted suicide and engaged in self-mutilation on multiple occasions since his rescue. Some are speculating the entire event was an act of sabotage, 
possibly coming from within the Chinese Communist Party's own rocket force, following a series of purges in the form of suspicious suicides, arrests, and disappearings of high-ranking officers and generals. When I get more information on this event, I'll be sure to bring it to you. Moving on to the mainland, in China-Taiwan relations, China, whose economy continues to fall off a cliff after the collapse of its real estate markets, seems to be accelerating its own financial decline in an attempt to interfere with Taiwan's elections, which will be held on January 13th of 2024. Taiwan's Foxconn, who is Apple's biggest supplier, the world's largest contract manufacturer of electronics, and has its manufacturing base in China, is now having its two biggest subsidiaries, which are located in the provinces of Guangdong and Jiangsu, investigated by Chinese tax authorities. In addition, China's Natural Resource Ministry is investigating the company's land usage in Hunan and Hubei provinces. The reason is Foxconn's founder and billionaire Terry Guo, who according to Forbes has become Taiwan's richest man six times over in the last 20 years, with an estimated wealth of 6.2 billion U.S. dollars, announced in August he wishes to run for president of Taiwan as an independent candidate in an effort to fix China-Taiwan relations and strengthen the Taiwanese economy. Guo is running on economics, saying now is the time for entrepreneurs to rise. Guo has promised that with his economic expertise and business skills, he can double the Taiwanese economic growth rate every year from the next fiscal year forward. And through economic and technological advancements, he can make Taiwan overtake Singapore as the richest country in Asia with the highest per capita GDP in 20 years. Quote, Give me four years, and I promise that I'll bring 50 years of peace to the Taiwan Strait and build the deepest foundation for mutual trust across the strait. Taiwan must not become Ukraine, and I will not let Taiwan become the next Ukraine. Terry Guo resigned as chairman of Foxconn in 2019 so he could run as Taiwanese president, but still holds a 12.6% stake in the company. In early October, Guo was able to collect 300,000 signatures, more than required to run for the election. Taiwan has three main political parties. The Democratic Progressive Party, known as the Green Camp, which is currently in power and whose candidate is the current vice president, Li Qingdao. The Green Camp holds a strong anti-communist position and has the support of 29.7% of the population as of now. The Blue Camp, which most favors the Chinese Communist Party, and is the largest opposition party with 25.6% support, and the White Camp, which is a centrist party that has good relations with the Chinese Communist Party and has the support of 21.1%. The last thing that the Chinese Communist Party wants to see is a victory for the pro-independence, anti-communism Green Camp. They are hoping instead for a victory of the Blue Camp, either by strengthening itself or by joining forces with the White Camp. But, Analyzing the polls, if Terry Guo joins the race, it will add a fourth party which will take votes from both the blue and the white camps. This would mean that the green camp, the anti-communist party camp, would extend its lead. Another issue that China is looking at is the election of Taiwanese legislators. Taiwan's legislative body of 113 members, like the United States' Congress, is responsible for amending its laws and has lots of control to supervise the government's powers and budgets, including military and health care. It is believed that if Terry Guo runs, not only will the Blue Party lose the race for president, 
but it will also lose power in the legislature. If the Democratic Progressive Party, the Green Camp, is able to win both the presidential election and maintain its majority in the legislature, this will make it difficult, if not impossible, for China to subvert the independent nation with the pen and will require it to use the sword. Regardless of what the CCP thinks, Guo is determined to run. At an August 28th press conference, where Guo announced his candidacy, he said, If the Chinese Communist regime says, you have to listen to us, or we will confiscate your assets, I would say, yes, please do it. If by sacrificing my personal assets, it can stop China from attacking Taiwan, I am willing to start over again as a mold worker. Foxconn workers are starting to panic. Because of the Chinese audits and investigations, Foxconn has stopped its hiring, and some are worried unemployment may be next. Foxconn has between 1.2 and 2 million employees, but when you consider logistics, as well as up and downstream workers, it may be as many as 5 million. The Foxconn employees themselves are divided. They believe that Mr. Guo deserves to get what he is legally entitled to, which means he has the right to move from business to politics, but they are concerned for their jobs. The Little Pinks, which are a group of mostly uneducated Chinese nationalists, who support the Chinese Communist Party as if they were top members, are thrilled that Foxconn is being audited. They do not believe that Guo has the right to move from business to politics. One little pink was quoted on social media as saying, quote, Xinjiu can do without Foxconn, but China cannot do without Taiwan. Anyone who obstructs with our reunification will be hunted down no matter where they are. Which leads to the question, if Foxconn is gone, who will supply all the jobs? China is already dealing with a massive capital flight from foreign countries since its crackdown on foreign companies through the implementation of vague laws causing the investigations of overseas companies in China and harassment of foreigners due to its everyone who is not Chinese is a spy campaigns. Now it is going after its own country's biggest businesses. So what will happen when everyone in China is unemployed? In other election news, a little further to the west, ahead of elections in Bangladesh, scheduled for January, the main opposition party, the Bangladesh National Party, or BNP, is threatening to boycott the upcoming elections unless Prime Minister Sheikha Hasana steps down to allow a neutral interim government to be in charge of elections, claiming that free and fair polls are not possible under Ms. Hashina. Over the weekend, Several senior political officials have been arrested following a mass protest that turned violent on Sunday in the capital of Dhaka. The rally attracted tens of thousands of people, the biggest in over a decade, which then turned violent. The opposition supporters attacked police, journalists, hospitals, ambulances, and the houses of the Chief Justice and other judges, creating chaos. Foreign Minister A.K. Abdul Momin told the BBC, 50 people were injured, including about 15 police officers. Dhaka police say that at least 1,480 opposition activists have been arrested and charged with violence since the 21st of October. The BNP have put the number of arrests at 3,000. Ms. Hashina, the daughter of Bangladesh's first president, who is seeking her fourth five-year term, has been in power since 2009 and has been accused of targeting political opponents, a statement she denies while her main political rival, Bangladesh National Party leader and two-time premier Angla Medar, is under house arrest, facing charges of corruption. 
the BNP's acting chairperson, is also in exile. The last election that was considered free and fair was in 2008, when the elections were conducted under a caretaker government, the outcome of which was Shika Hassana won by a landslide. But then, in 2011, Hashina's Awame League government scrapped the system after Bangladesh's high court declared it to be unconstitutional. In 2014, the opposition Bangladesh National Party boycotted the election, and the United States and Australia called for another vote. Meanwhile, Russia, China, and India had no problem with the results. In 2018, there were allegations of foul play, including intimidation, repression, and ballot stuffing. 114 million Bangladeshis are still divided on the issue of a caretaker government. Regardless, Prime Minister Shika Hashina has said she will not step down. The arrest of Mr. Alamagar, along with hundreds of opposition supporters, after the rally has triggered criticism from human rights groups. The intensified crackdown on opposition party leaders and protesters over the weekend signals an attempt at a complete clampdown of dissent in Bangladesh ahead of the general elections in January, Amnesty International said. And the Office of the UN Human Rights Commissioner urged the government to show restraint and ensure that human rights were fully upheld for all Bangladeshians. Moving to South America, increased border and port protection may be coming to Brazil following increased chaos. On Tuesday, in Rio de Janeiro, authorities deployed helicopters, drones, and other extra security after members of a criminal gang set fire to at least 35 buses in an apparent retaliation for the police slaying of one of their key members, a man identified as Mathis Silva Resende, the nephew of a criminal leader of the largest militia group in the state. The militias are said to be distinct from drug trafficking gangs that control important areas of Rio. They emerged in the 1990s, when they were originally made up of mainly former police officers, firefighters, and military men who wanted to combat lawlessness in their neighborhoods. To fund themselves, they began extorting residents for protection and other services, and more recently moved into drug trafficking themselves to increase funding story that is the same for most South American and Mexican cartels. Brazil's president, Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva, to mobilize 3,600 troops from the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force in an attempt to tighten security at international air and seaports in Rio and Sao Paulo, including Sao Paulo's Santa Seaport, which is the busiest in South America and Brazil's largest cocaine export hub. According to a public security analyst, and professor at the Gatulu Varlos Foundation, a university in San Paulo, the federal government is being rushed into this due to a previous lack of action. The government is trying, but the chance of this not working is huge. This is an emergency plan, something being done at the last minute as though it were a problem that arose just now, but it isn't. And finally this week, at the end of last week, Newsweek, followed by a plethora of other media outlets, reported on an absolutely terrifying piece of news when they reported that the United States is developing a new nuclear bomb. The claim is the new bomb, labeled Bravo 61-TAC-13, will be able to kill over 300,000 people if detonated over Moscow, and that this bomb, at 360 kilotons, is 25 times more powerful than the bomb dropped on Hiroshima, which was only 12,000 to 15,000 tons. 
the big question here is, why is the U.S. developing and testing a new nuclear weapon when it already has a bomb of that size? Is the bomb a new kind of smart bomb? Is it some new weapon of mass destruction with less fallout? The answer is no. It is just another dumb nuclear bomb. The real story here seems to be incompetence in leadership. Just before this announcement, Russia announced that it was pulling out of the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty of 1996. This came a month after a report from CNN who claimed that they had obtained exclusive satellite images showing the construction of new tunnels, roads, and storage facilities at nuclear test sites in the far western region of Xinjiang, China, one by Russia in the Arctic Ocean archipelago, and another in the U.S. in the Nevada desert. So, what is the need for testing a new nuclear weapon estimated to have a yield of 360 kilotons? As of current, the largest nuclear weapon in the United States arsenal is the Bravo 4-1 nuclear bomb, which has a yield of 25 megatons. And that is only the second largest nuclear weapon in the world, with the largest being possessed by Russia, the Tsar Bomba, which has a yield of 50 megatons. However, the Tsar Bomba has never been fully tested. It had to be modified before its test detonation due to the fact that Russia knew the fallout would be catastrophic. It seems as if the real story here is simple. When people who are relics of a Cold War that no longer exists are put back into power with money from lobbyists of a military-industrial complex that profits off of death and destruction, the only thing that really makes sense is to start threatening the world with the most terrifying weapons of mass destruction ever created by man. Besides, why not detonate nuclear weapons for no reason? We have to stop global warming. I suggest that rather than naming this new bomb something as obscure as Bravo 61-TAC-13, we should name it something more appropriate, like Greta. And that's all for the Red Eye Report for Thursday, November 9th. Be sure to come back next week when we will take a deep dive into how China has been and continues to teach communism to students in America and the rest of the Western world while promoting the kind of censorship that has people around the world who can't find Gaza on a map chanting from the river to the sea without the slightest clue they're calling for genocide. And if you would like to be part of the discussion, be sure to follow the Red Eye Report on X, formerly known as Twitter. Until next week, remember, if communism, socialism, or fascism is the device and the destruction of Western democracy and freedom is the intent, the Red Eye Report will be watching to bring you the news not being covered in the mainstream. I'm Matthew Burgess. Thank you for your time.